Hi, and welcome to the River of Life Assembly of God podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our prayer is that today's message will impact your life in a positive way. We believe there is power in the Word of God. So open your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. To Nehemiah, to Nehemiah chapter 4. This goes right along with what I'm preaching on today, so I appreciate that, Dad, and, and, and uh, what God is doing here. If you're joining us for the first time today on our podcast or here, God bless you. Good to have you with us today. Uh, we are in a season of arise. You may see t-shirts and, and, and around and songs and that word talking about arise because we believe God and we know God has called us to arise. And so we have been following this theme throughout the Word of God, and we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah where he is talking about arise and build and uh, Nehemiah has built him and over 40 families came together and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the wall that is still standing today there are remnants of the wall still standing today of what this story is all about uh, and so we've been talking about arise and build and and then in chapter 4 he begins to take it into a little bit of a different turn and he begins to address the families because I want you to know we're not just rebuilding a building here God is not just building brick and mortar he's building a people he's building a people while you're here and you're you're whatever you're working and you're praying for us you're supporting you're attending you're coming there is there is something bigger than just coming to church that God wants to do in our lives and we're we recognize that Jesus rebuked one group of people because he said you can tell when it's getting ready to rain when a storm is getting ready to come but you can't discern the season that you are in right now and God wants us to discern the kind of the season that we are in right now well I want you to know the enemy also recognizes the season that we are in right now and so he will attack and he will bring opposition And so today I want to talk about what Nehemiah said in chapter 4, particularly with the family. Started last week about relationships. Just two verses today, chapter 4, verse 13. He says, therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and here's the word again, arise. I I arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and for your houses. That's a word for somebody today. He wants you to fight for your family. He wants you to fight for your family. If you're single here today and you don't even have a family yet, I can tell you now still, God wants you to still fight for the family that he wants to bless you with. Come on, somebody. So chapter 14 will be the title of the message today, Arise and Fight for Your Family. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the season that we are in today. And if there's ever been a time for the church to come together and to stand up together as one and to fight for our families, it is now. Father, as the enemy has attacked our hopes and dreams and is attacking the family as he always has, I pray that this message today, oh God, particularly to our men, Father, would encourage our men and instruct our men, God, to arise and get into the position that you've called us to. So, and all of us, Lord, would fight for our families. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Tell a couple people on your way down, it's time to fight. It's time to fight. It's time to fight. Some of you might have got a little bit of, took that in the wrong way from my old neighborhood. I seen them, what, what? Oh, we're in church. Oh, that's right, right, amen. Time to fight. Hallelujah. Chapter 4, I want to get right into this today, uh, is a chapter that begins with a fight scene. And it's a call to fight. That's what chapter 4 is all about. They're, they're working hard about rebuilding the wall in the city. And if you read on in that chapter, they're working really hard, night and day. The Bible says they're working in, from dawn until the stars came out. It says some of them put up beds and slept there. Some of them, it says they didn't even take off their clothes only to wash them. They, they were working hard at building something that would last for generations to come. And this chapter also tells us that the enemy began to also fight hard. And so this is a call to defend what God is doing. And I want you to know that anything that is worth having is worth defending. We are going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to defend what God wants to do in your lives, your hopes and dreams, your families, this ministry or whatever. Anything that God gives us, we're going to have to learn to fight for it. I'm going to show you this here today, that it goes along with it. You need to know that you have an enemy. How many believe that you have an enemy? I don't know if you believe that or not, but the Bible talks about an enemy, an adversary, someone that is opposed to anything and everything that God or the Holy Spirit wants to build in your life. He's opposed to it. He wants to destroy it. He wants to tear it down. That's just what the Bible describes, and we should expect that to happen because whenever we connect ourselves with Jesus, we should expect that we're going to get a, a, pull, a pushback in opposition. When you begin to make a decision that you're going to follow Christ, don't be surprised if it feels like everything is going in the wrong direction, everything is falling apart. Don't be surprised when that happens. It's, it's what Jesus told us would happen. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. In this life you will have tribulation and trials. But he said, be of good courage because I have overcome the world. In other words, be of good courage because I am a way maker. Where there seems to be no way, I'll make a way when there seems to be no way. I will always lead you to a place of triumph. Amen? Amen? So, he, But I want you to see that there's, there's always opposition. Don't be surprised. People get surprised sometimes. When you begin to follow God and you begin to get, get on fire for God and begin to seek Him, we're surprised when we get a little bit of opposition. And that's what happened here in Nehemiah. God called them to rebuild the city. They're doing a good thing. They're, they're doing exactly what God's called them to do. And here comes the enemy, Sanballat and Tobiah. As I said, last week he's throughout this whole story because he's always in opposition. But the scripture always tells us that. James says to count it all joy when you go through tribulations and through testings and through trials. What was wrong with him? First Peter, I want this one. I want you to see this. He probably says it the best. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
Don't think it's strange that now you're starting to serve God and you're getting a little bit of pushback. Don't think it's strange, River of Life, that now we're in our promised land and we're building and we're coming together, but there's some flesh that's trying to get in. There's some enemies that's trying to attack your finances, that's trying to get you to be rubbed the wrong way with other people and and just things that are coming out of the woodwork where you don't even expect to become. He says, don't think it's strange. Don't be shocked. Tell your neighbor, don't be surprised. But notice what he says, at the, t- at the testing of your faith, a closer look at fighting and the enemy and the adversary, a closer look at the trials that we go through, you'll soon discover that all it, all it is is a test. In fact, you can look at the man Job in the Bible and you'll find out that the enemy tested him and tried him, but he had to get permission before he could do it. You need to know that the enemy can't do anything to you without he first get permission from God. So then any attack that you have coming into your life, you know that God has allowed it because he knows you can handle it, and he has a plan for the pain. He has a plan for the battle. There's a plan and a purpose for it, and it's the testing of your faith. But we hate tests, don't we? We hate tests. The funny thing about testing is we hate to be tested but we love to use the things that have only been tested. I mean, none of you women will put your baby in a car seat that your husband made in the garage. (laughs) At least not your firstborn. Maybe number four, like, yeah, honey, save us some money. Get some duct tape around that little boy. We want to make sure it's it's been tested. We want to make sure that it it is safe. It's hunting season, so many of you guys are going to go out there and you're not going to get any deer because you won't go to the place where it's been tested and tried. I'm sorry. You you need to go to the places that that have been tested. I I was thinking about this message, and a friend of mine, I was talking with him, and last time I went deer hunting, it's been about six years or so, and I was thinking about him, and I said, man, this fits in right with this story. I remember he took me out deer hunting, and uh, he said, hey, I want you to go over here. He put me up in a deer stand, and he went down here and hunted, and I was sitting in the deer stand, no lie, for about 45 minutes, a doe came in end of story and we ate some delicious meat for the rest of the winter just like that 45 minutes I had my deer come on guys don't don't hate me and, and I haven't been hunting before that in probably 10 so it was like my first time out I mean I mean it was just beautiful how it happened and uh He's out in the woods, and he never got anything, and we got the deer, and, and a week later, he went out. Uh, I, I seen him about a week later, and I was like, hey, man, how's it going? He said, oh, man, it's going good. I'm going to go back hunting where we were, and he had a son with him. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, where are you going to go hunting out there? He goes, ah, I don't know. I'm going to probably try this. And his son goes, Dad, I thought you said you were going to try the spot that Pastor Eddie was at. I looked at him, he looked at me, he goes, son, that's what I, I said I might go to I said, see, he wants to go to it now because it's been tested. It's been tested, and we hate to be tested, but we love to only use those things that's been tested. Can I tell you that God is the same way? I want you to know that God will allow the testing to come into your life because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Because if you ain't been tested, then you can't be trusted. And some of you are going through this and you're going through that and you can't advance because you're failing the test. You need to look at the place and say, God, I'm going to trust in you that if you brought me to it, you're going to get me through it. And the season of life that I'm in right now, it may be testing, but you're just preparing me for something that you've got in store for me. 
And when you hear about fighting, and when you hear about the enemy attacking you, and when you hear about all of the, uh, the opposition, and all of these things coming against you, there are two people listening to me right now. After I said everything that I said up to this point, there are two people listening to me right now. One, I just have given you an excuse to quit. Others, I have prepared you for the battle. Others, I have set you up to fight. Nehemiah knew that there was going to be a battle, and so he prepared himself for the fight. There are people that do like to be tested. And you know who those are? Those are the people that are prepared to take the test. You know the ones that we always used to make fun of at school? Because we thought it was more important to make a career out of high school. And it was more important to be popular. But then you had those students that said, hey, I'm not here to win a popularity test. I got a little bit of intelligence to know the quicker I get through it, the quicker I'm done with it. And this is just preparing me for the next level. You know the people. Those are the ones we take our kids to when they're sick and they're wearing a white gown behind the door. Yeah, that's them that you made fun of in science class. Now they're there. You call them doctor now. Come on, somebody. In fact, they look forward to a test because it gives them an opportunity to show everyone that they are prepared for battle. I ain't getting no help today. They're prepared for the test. They look forward to test time. When you're in the back of the class, like I used to be, you know, cutting up and laughing, and the, and the teacher said, it's test time. I looked over, and they were going, I hate you. Because they were prepared for the test, bring it into the Bible, the early church. They looked at being tested, and they looked at opposition, and they looked at persecution totally different than we look at it today. The Bible says in Acts that the church went away rejoicing because they were beaten and persecuted. They rejoiced to the fact that they were persecuted for their faith. Hebrews 11 says some rejected to be delivered out of their trial because they wanted to obtain a better better reward from God. Think about that. In fact, you'll never find in the book of Acts with all the persecution that Rome was coming down on the early church, you'll never find one time the church getting together to pray that God would deliver them from the season of persecution. Instead, you'll find them getting together and praying that God would fill them with the strength to endure the test, to endure the season. Did you read the scripture that I read to you today? He said, go and fight. I want you to know today that God wants us to fight. That's what I come to tell you today. You're in a season, you got a mountain to be moved. God wants you, what what do I do, God? This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to fight. God wants us to fight. He wants, he he will allow, see the enemy will bring the battle, the enemy will bring a fight to us, and he will attack us to get us to quit. God will allow the testing and the battle to come to us to allow us to fight. The enemy will will test us to bring out the worst in us. God will allow the testing to bring out the best in you. Some of us don't realize what we have in us until we have a fight to fight. You don't know what you have in you until until you're confronted with a situation. It brings out a fight in you. Remember David. David was just thinking he was gonna go down and hand out sandwiches to his family. He went down, but it was all God's plan to get him to come down to the front lines of the battle so he can hear a giant begin to speak. 
And as he began to hand out sandwiches, and as he, he began to just sit there, you might have came here today for whatever reason, but now you got into the service and you're hearing God begin to, to get, get in your spirit a little bit, and he's wanting a fight to rise up in you a little bit. And he don't want you just to sit there and let somebody else worship. Don't let somebody else give. Don't let somebody else get on fire for God. He's nudging you saying, hey, can you hear that giant? He's talking about you. He's talking about your future. He's talking about your family. He's talking about your marriage. He's talking about your kids and you might not even have kids yet David got down there handing out sandwiches and the Bible says all of a sudden he heard a giant standing out there saying where is your God if he's all that and the whole army of Israel was hiding in tents making excuses and this little 17 year old boy said man how come no one's taking him out yet some of us are waiting on God to take out your enemy and he's waiting on you to stand up and fight God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do it? When, when are you going to rise up? When are you going to begin to do as David did? The Bible says David dropped the little cheese sandwiches and said, hey, if nobody else is going to go out there, then I'm going to go out there and take this uncircumcised Philistine out because I know God has been with me in the past. He's helped me overcome a bear. He's helped me overcome a lion. And this giant is no different. Your remembrance, sometimes our memory is the best thing that we can ever have. We remember our former battles of what God has brought us out of. And sometimes our memory is the worst thing that we ever have. We're soon to forget what God has done. River of life, don't forget where we are. Don't forget what God has done. And this is just the beginning of what God wants to do. And Nehemiah stood up and he says, remember the Lord God, great and mighty. Remember how great and mighty your God is. And he said, if you will fight for your family, God will fight for you. I'm here to tell you, church, if we will just fight for our families, God will fight for us. He will fight for us. But he needs us to step up and say, I'm going to fight for our families. And so God will bring us to the, the battles to bring the fight out in us, as he did with Nehemiah. And I want you to see what Nehemiah did, and I know this isn't Father's Day, and I know this isn't a men's conference, but I want you to notice the emphasis that uh, Nehemiah made on the men. This is why it says he positioned men, and in the, in the King James it says he positioned people, but all the other translations says men. But what is it? I looked it up in the Hebrew, and it's a Hebrew word that is am. It is the masculine noun for people. So they're both right. It was people, but it was the men. That's why he said later fight for your wives it was the men and the first thing Nehemiah did and that's what I want to minister just for a minute to our men I want you to see how important it is for our men the very first thing that Nehemiah did is he brought men and he put them into position into the lower parts of the wall in verse 13 behind the lower parts the first thing Nehemiah did the enemy began to come in and I see the enemy coming into the family so much spin that way. The enemy's always attacked what God's anointed, and God's always anointed a family. He's always ma- he made the family before he made the church. That's why the, the enemy always attacks the family, and he always attacks the men. Jesus said, if you, if you strike the shepherd, the, the sheep will, will, will run, will flee. It, it's a strategy. Well, I love what Nehemiah did, is he brought the men together, and he put them in the lower parts. He did the men, and he put them in position. 
The word position, I looked it up. In English, it simply means to put something or someone in its correct place. That's in English. You can ask Siri on your phone. It simply means to put something or someone in the correct place. But in the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word, amad. And I did not know this when I got this message in this series together on the word arise. I told you I was going to look through the word of God and the word arise is all in the Bible. I had no idea that it was here. I knew I was going to talk about Nehemiah. I knew I was going to talk about the family eventually, but I had no idea that this is the word. But when I looked it up, what Nehemiah did, he put men in position. It's the Hebrew word amad, and it means to rise up and remain. Hear me, guys. To rise up and remain. To rise up and remain. What does God want me to do in my life, Pastor Red? He wants to make me a preacher, a prophet, start my own ministry. He wants me to go to church. He wants you to do this. Arise, get in your place, and remain. Put it together. Am, Ahmad, Nehemiah simply said he caused men to rise up and remain in their correct place. I just want to encourage our men today that God wants us men to get in our correct place and to stand our ground and to just stand in position and to be there and so God can use us to fight for our family. When men are in their right place, good things happen for the rest of the family. I want you to look at this. This is amazing. There was an article written by Robbie Lowe called The Truth About Men and Church. And he writes, the question was asked to determine whether a person's religion carried through to the next generation. And if so, why? And if not, why not? The result is staggering. There is one critical factor, and that is, it's the religious practice of the father of the family, above all, that determines the future attendance or absence from church of their children. In fact, if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability everyone else in the household will follow. If the child is the first one, it comes out of an unchurched family. We have some here today. The whole fa- you're the only one in your whole family serving the Lord. There's a 3.5% probability that everyone else out will. Then this is just a statistic. God can work with that. God, the Bible says in Psalms, he just needs one. He just needs one. There was one in my family, my Uncle Billy, and he won my dad to the Lord. And that summer, out of eight boys, they were 12 kids. They didn't have children. They had litters in those days. They were all serving the Lord and got on fire for God. It took one relative to get on fire for God. God is just looking for one. God is just looking for one that has surrendered to God. I'm the only one here, Pastor Eddie. You're preaching about family. I'm all by myself. You don't even know what I went through to get to church today. He brought you all the way to church today to know that you're in the right place. All he needs is you. All he needs is your faith. All he needs is your passion. Get on fire for him. Believe that he can change everything. He just needs one. The statistic goes on to say that if mom is the first, 17% probability. And I know that's right because mama makes everybody go. Don't ask, you know, don't ask if we're going to, I quit asking if it's time to go to church on Sunday when I was many years ago. Listen to this. It's amazing. However, when the father is the first, there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. I can't ignore that. 93% if just dad will get in position. 
Pastor Eddie, why are you preaching? Is that, why are you, it's not a men's conference, it's a Sunday morning. Because we gotta be, we gotta be intentional and strategic. I prayed about this. You see, good families just don't happen. You gotta be intentional. The enemy is strategic. He is intentional. He don't mind you coming to church and playing church. In fact, he'll, he, he don't mind at all if you're going to come right back and the cuffs go right back on you and chains go right back on you. How was church? Did they sing your song? Did you see your favorite person? Did you get a hug today? Did pastor preach something that made you feel good? Ooh, say it again. Yeah, he sung, Jesus, Jesus. Ooh, say it again. But when you begin to walk out of here, I said, when you begin to walk out of here and something has risen up in your heart, and you're saying, I'm not going to go back the way I used to be. I'm going to get that Bible back out, men. I'm going to get that Bible back out. When was the last time you was in your word this week? You waiting on me to give you everything you need? It's impossible. Ain't nobody in this room can give you everything you need, but God does. He's been waiting. And sometimes he'll cause a trial to hit your life, so he'll back up because he wants to get a seek out of you. He'll back up and say, how bad are you? I want to get a little, I want to get a seek out of you. So we're losing our hunger in the church in America today. Well, we're getting into the selfie generation. I, I, I don't mean to hate on taking a selfie, but we've made it all about us. We, we, it's all about making my brand. It's all about making me. It's me, me, me. And so it's hard. We struggle at doing anyone, anything for anybody because what is it? What's in it for me? Facebook says, what's on your mind? Everything is your. Tell me about you. That's not even, you notice in the conversation today, conversations are even changed. We have this thing that we call conversation. Really, you just sit down and you just listen to one person talk. What is it when you start to ask someone else, how are you doing and how are you feeling? I'm telling you, it's gotten into the, to, the, to our culture so much we don't even pay attention. God's wanting to see if there's anybody that's hungry for him anymore. If somebody says, hey man, I'm going to worship you no matter what, God. I'm going to serve you no matter what, how I feel, no matter what I'm going through. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing. I'm going to worship you, God. You look at the story of Job, which is one of the most, I preached him on Father's Day. He was the most godless men and fathers you've ever seen. How much time I have? I got all day. You hungry? We got a kitchen back there. But you got to serve before you get any food. Don't get mad at me. I don't make all these rules. Some of you are cooking really hard, wanting to bring food for these, for these guys and women that are working. And uh, keep it up. Amen. <laughs> Amen. What was I saying? He talked about food. Job. Satan came up and said, God, Job is worshiping you and is irritating me. The Bible starts off with Job coming in and God says, where have you been? Whenever God asks a question, he's not looking for information. Adam, where are you? I'm right here. Oh, I didn't see you. God says, I know where you are, Adam. Do you know where you are? Some of you are saying, God, where are you? He goes, I know, I ain't moved. Do you recognize where you are? Job said, I've been all in the earth, and I got a problem with Job. I think he's only serving you because everything's going right in his life. Let me at him. He'll curse you to your face. See, God already knew Job. God will bring you to the battle, not to see for himself what you would do, but for you to see yourself what you will do. 
He said, Abraham, you got a son, and I want to see if you still love me, number one. You might have replaced me with your children. I'm going to get to that next week. I'm going to get to the rest of the family next week. He said, I want to see if you still love me as much before I gave you this child, so put your child on the altar. The whole thing was a test for Abraham to see where he was. Job's, and, and, and God said, go ahead, go at him, but don't, don't kill him. And you know what the first thing the enemy attacked was his cattle. Why did he attack it? He got sick, he had a disease, he attacked his family, but the first thing was his cattle. Why? Because the cattle is what he offered up as worship to God. The enemy said, let me just get his worship. Let me just get him to quit worshiping. I don't care if he's in church, but let me get his worship. Let me get his worship. Let me steal his worship. Satan knows because he was a worship leader. He knows the only thing in, in the whole world that God said, I will come in and sit right next to you is one thing, and that is when you worship me, when you praise me, when you give me praise. Some of you need to learn how to worship. You need to add and build on your vocabulary. It's good to say thank you, Jesus, but you need to learn some other words. And let me just challenge you, especially men today. Learn to worship your God in front of your kids, in front of your wife, in front of him and learn to lift your hands up and say, God, I love you. Oh, God, I serve you. Get in position, man, and get where God wants you to be. Lift up those hands. Job lost everything in his life. Everything was going wrong. His own wife turned on him and said, Job, you're going to serve a God like this? You're going to serve a God? Like, where is your God? Ever since you became a Christian, everything's falling apart in your life. And Job had a real reason to say, you know what? You're right, woman. I ain't going in there today. What you want to do today? Shopping? I'm going to church. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What you want to do today? But Job didn't. He looked at her and said, woman, you sound like a foolish woman. Though he kills me, though he kills me, though he kills me, yet will I serve him. I don't care. Though he kills me, yet will I serve him. He's after our worship. Get in position. You get in position when you worship. You get in position when you get into the presence of God. The first thing God did with Adam when he created Adam is he, he was in the presence of God. That's the very first need that every man needs is the very presence of God. So many will, will leave the presence of God to go find a man and, or a woman and bring them into a relationship and thinking that's going to work. That's not going to work. I talked about that last week. And the very first thing that every man needs here today is the presence of God in your life, a relationship with God, a, a living and a thriving relationship with God. That's the first thing that you need to have. Didn't know anything about that when I got saved at 25 years old, gave my life to Jesus. Say, God, man, I, I don't know about all this church stuff, man. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know about all that. If I can even live for you, God, I love to, to party and I love to do my own thing. I don't know if I can even do that. And over a period of time, everything just began to go wrong and wrong and wrong. And I said, okay, God, I'm just going to serve you. And I got radical for God. 
I did what's called repentance. I, I, got, I repented of my sin. I said, okay, God, here I go. Here I go. I'm going to give you everything because I don't want no one to tell me if I give my heart to God that he's going to save me and he's going to work if it don't work. I want to prove that it works. And I got on fire for God. I got rid of everything in my life that offended God. And I said, God, I'm going to go after you with all of my heart. What did he do? He said, Eddie, I've been waiting on that, boy. I've been waiting on that. And a fire was lit in my heart. And he said, man, you have no idea what I got planned for you, says the Lord. Good things and not things of of the damage but of hope to prosper you but I just need you to stay in my presence what was I doing I was getting in position I know men may hear that today and say man it's a lot for me to be a man of God or I don't know if I could do this you don't have to wear a tie someone saw me today and said man you got a tie on today we got guests that I don't know about coming (laughs) I love our people (laughs) wanted to wear a tie today amen you don't have to wear a tie. You don't have to dress up. All God wants you to do is to get into his presence. I just want to encourage our men today for us to take and do what God's called us to do. It's going to take families, but it's going to take our men. It's going to take our men. I want to encourage our men to step up today. I don't know what you've been through. You might be here and you might be like Gideon as another man that lost everything. Gideon lost everything. Judges chapter 6. Go and read that story. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. He was the least of his tribe, and he's hiding behind a garage, and he's just hiding, and he's, he's got a little bit of food, and he's eating before the enemy would come and steal everything. Every time a harvest time came, the enemy would come, and he would steal it, and he stood there, and so he's hiding so the enemy won't steal his food, and an angel appeared to him, and he said to him, oh, mighty man of valor, and Gideon said, why are you calling me a mighty man of valor? When everything has fallen, I've lost everything in my life. I've lost everything. And then he says in in Judges, he said, God, where are all the miracles that I've heard about? Where are all the miracles that you've done? The blinded eyes and, and all of the miracles. Where are all the miracles? He asked God that question. I love the answer. God said, go. But if you read it in the Hebrew, he says, go in the strength that you have left. Just go with the little bit of strength that you have left. Nehemiah, 800 years later, says, men, I know you're tired. Fight for your families. Get into position is all you got to do is get into position, and God will fight for you. I'm going to tell you two stories, and then we're going to close. One of them is in the Bible, and one of them is from our family. If the worship team wants to get ready. In the Bible, there's a two families that are recorded to have 70 children and 70 grandchildren. Come on, somebody. Ahab and Jezebel. They had 70 children and 70 grandchildren. Ahab and Jezebel were wicked. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. Jezebel was into witchcraft. She was into the dark uh, uh, magic. She was a, she was a uh, godless woman. Ahab was a businessman. All it was with him was money and prestige, and he pursued money. That's all he wanted. They were wicked. And your Bible says that all 70, all 70, it's horrible, of his, their children and grandchildren died in a tragic death, one at a time, some of them 10. The, the enemy would come in, and they, the wrath of God came on some of them. All 70 of them were lost. It's horrible. It's a horrible story. Then there's another family called Obed-Edom. That was the name of the dad. I'm giving out baby names. Obed-Edom. 
He's not, he's not a priest. He's not a preacher. He's not anything like that. He's just a man of God. He's just a man that was with David. And when David had to work through some things, he took a little sabbatical. Obed-Edom brought the Ark of the Covenant into his house for three months. For three months, he had the presence of God in his house. He also had 70 children and 70 grandchildren, not 70 and 70, 70 all together. And all he did was bring the presence of God into his house. All he did was, was say, hey man, I'm, I'm going to get God into my life and I'm going to sell out to God with all my, all he did. And your Bible said that all 70 of them worked in the temple. All 70 of them worked in the temple. And again, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a priest, wasn't even a deacon, wasn't any of that. He simply was a man that brought the presence of God to his family. Church, God wants us to arise, and he wants us to make a difference in this community. And how are we going to do it? We're going to do it with the presence of God. People will come to this place, and they will continue. That's why you're here today, to encounter the presence of God, because it's something that God, only God can satisfy in our lives. Earlier this year, and I want to close with this, earlier this year, I was down, we, Steve and I went down to West Virginia to, uh, my Uncle Billy passed away. He was the one that got saved, and he came and won the rest of, won my dad to the Lord. You've heard stories about it. He came and just cried, and he got out of Jackson prison. I mean, he was a, he'd been through a lot, and he got saved, and he came all the way up here, and he talked to my dad, and just, just followed behind him in the house, weeping and crying. Saying, Paul, it's so good. You got to get saved. Paul, my dad said, just stop crying. You're embarrassing me. Well, finally, my dad said he just prayed just to get him to shut up. But later that night, my dad got next to the bed, and he prayed, and he said, God, if you're real, I will serve you. He had no idea what God was going to do. I'm so glad that you didn't kick Uncle Billy out and go do your own thing that weekend. I thank you so much, Dad, that you went to church that next Sunday. I thank you so much, Dad, that you didn't turn with all your other buddies at work and just say, I'm just going to fit into church and I'm just going to do the religious thing. I thank God that you sold out to God and you said, God, I'll carry this anointing for as long as you want me to carry it. Uncle Billy passed away, so we went down there. And we preached the funeral. We did an awesome service. People were there. We wet. We cried. My Uncle Billy was in. He was a military. He was in his, uh, all of his thing. And his, it was awesome. Emotional. We cried. After the funeral, people began to talk. And this older guy come running up on the platform. And he come over to me and Steve. And he said, boys, I got to tell you something. I want to tell you something about your grandpa Markham. That you probably don't know. And so we sat down. He goes, you don't know me, but I knew your grandpa Markham. I don't know my grandpa Markham. He died when my dad was 15. He died on Christmas Eve. He had a peg leg. That's all I knew. From, he lost it in the coal mines, one of the hardest jobs you'll ever work. And after I preached the funeral, this guy came up. He sat us down. He said, he began to talk about my uncle Markham. He said, you see, I lived down the holler from him. Now, a holler, look it up. He said, the Markhams lived here, I lived here, and town was about two miles. When we were there, we drove to the old Markham house. It's about two miles from downtown Logan, where the church was. 
I never met this man before in my life. And he, he said, Eddie, he said, every Sunday your grandpa Markham would come walking down that dirt road. And at nighttime even, he, all you would see was the lamp, the lantern that he would, he had hobbled because he only had one peg leg. And he would swing that lamp all the way down that dark road. And I look at my wife on the front porch and I say, well, the Markhams are going to church again today. He said, I don't care if it was revival, he was at church every night. If it was Wednesday night, he was there. He said, sometimes I would be out there in the rain just to see if Andy Markham was going to come down that holler. And sure enough, here he come, hobbling. He said he was the most persistent man. Man I've ever met in my life. Tears begin to come down. I never met my grandpa. I never heard that story. And he said, I'm sitting back here and I'm watching you up there preaching on the anointing of God and on fire for God. He said, all I can say is your grandpa would be so proud of you because you don't even know it, but you're up there and you're swinging that same lantern and you're swinging his grandson. That's what we're building here, River of Life. That's why we're here today. We want to get some dads in this place and a swing a lantern for their kids. And a swing a lantern for their grandkids. And a say, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. I don't care what the world does. I'm going to live for God. I never met my granddad. Never, I never would have thought that story. And he began to cry, he says, you don't know what that means to me to sit up here and to see his grandson. I said, you don't know what it means to me for me to hear that from you. When you get into church, men, families too, I'm going to get the wives and the whole family next week. But men, I want you to hear it today. When you, all you got to do is come to church, you're positioning yourself. You don't got to be a deep theologian. I didn't know nothing about the Bible when I got saved. God said, I want you to relearn everything you've learned again. And I begin to read at Genesis. But one thing began to happen. As I got on fire for God, I said, as I got on fire for God, that began to flow into my family. It began to just, it began to get into my family. All you got to do is get into the presence of God and let God change your life. Let God save you. Let God get you on fire for God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I was down at the police station this week talking with our chief of police and so excited and they want to come in here and they're going to be with us at our grand opening. I don't know how we're going to fit everybody in that grand opening. And we got to talking and Show me my picture on the wall now. My picture's on the wall. It's official. <laughs> Reverend Eddie Markham, chaplain for Van Buren. I said, That's a, isn't that awesome? But he goes, he said, Eddie, he said, you got some men in your church? I said, yeah, I got some men. He said, man, we're looking for some men. I said, so am I. In fact, so is God. And let me tell you something. We got a need for some men of God today in our culture today. What you're doing today is the best, the most important thing you could ever do in your life. It's more important than taking them to a game. It's more important than doing any other thing. You come into church, I don't care if you're sick, if your back hurts, if you almost didn't make it. You went through that crazy traffic from the pit of hell through the I-94, but you're here today. This is the best thing you could ever do in your entire life is be in the presence of God. Why? Why? Like my grandpa, he didn't know that. Because when we do it, something 
gets on your kids. Something just gets on your kids. And for the rest of their life, it'll never leave them. I don't care if they're not even in church. When I wasn't in church, it was still in me. It was still on me. What was the presence of God? Saying, when you going to give it up, Eddie? When you're tired of all the drama, Eddie? When you're tired of all the fakeness out here, Eddie? When are you going to come home? When are you going to come home? I said, I'm coming home today. November 5th, 1997. I picked up my lantern. And I said, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. what I want to do for us men here today. We'll pray for everybody. But if you're, you're a man in this place today, I'm going to open up these altars and I want to pray over you. And if you need some prayer today, I want you to come out of your seat. This is a way for you to lead your family. I'm just going to pray over you a, a prayer for all of our men. They say, Pastor Eddie, I need, I need to pick up a lantern. Or maybe you're carrying a lantern and it's kind of, it's kind of heavy because the enemy's coming against you. Maybe you said, Pastor Eddie, I set that, that lantern down a long time ago. But I'm wanting to pick it up here today. Come on, men. I'm saying get in position. Look at these men today. Look at these men here today. Look at these men here today. Hallelujah. Come on, men. Get in position. Come on, get in position. All you got to do is get in position. God said, I'll fight for your family. He's going to do the fighting. He's going to do the fighting. He's going to do the fighting for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to sing. I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord right now. That just means I surrender. We lift our hands in case you don't know. You're visiting with us today or it's first time being in a Pentecostal church. This is a posture of surrender. God always responds to hearts that are surrendered. I believe some deliverances are going to happen right now. Hallelujah. Chains are going to be broken right now. Chains of addiction. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord, come and do. Come and do, God, what it is that you do, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Arm your men today.
right now. In the name of Jesus, I break every, every addiction in this place that's holding these men back. If you've got an addiction in your life, I don't care if it's pornography, I don't care if it's a substance. In the name of Jesus right now, I'm going to break it by the blood of Jesus. You're going to walk out of here free in the name of Jesus. By faith, by faith. This all happened to me in 1997. Substance was broke over my life. I never returned to drugs. I never returned to alcohol. Not one time in, in over 20 years. From a service as simple as this. In the name of Jesus. All you got to do is believe and receive it. Father, in the name of Jesus, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every word spoken against us we shall condemn. For this is the inheritance of the servants of God. And I break the power of addiction over every one of your men that's standing in these altars today. In the name of Jesus, they will not go back. They will not return. But they're going to get in position. And they're going to stay in position. They're going to stay in position. They're going to remain in position. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it. 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 Some of you need to go home. You need to clean out your house. That's what you need to do. By faith, you're free. Pour it out. Get rid of it. Disconnect it. Get rid of it. And then you need to tell somebody how you're free. If it's, You don't want to tell everybody what you're struggling with, but you need to tell someone that you're free. Begin to declare your freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen? Now lift your hands to the Lord. Father, right now, I pray for strength to come into your men in this place. Father, it's a scary thing sometimes for us men to realize the responsibility you've put on us. You've called us to be the priests of our home, and Father, we don't even know what that means, some of us. Father, I pray, God, as you did it for Nehemiah and those men, as you do something special today here, this Sunday in October, in this gymnasium, there will result in a harvest and for fruit for years and years to come in our families. In Jesus' name, I want you men to repeat this. Heavenly Father, thank you for my calling as being the priest of my home. I ask you today to forgive me of all sin. Forgive me for drawing back. But from this day forward, I will get in position. Help me, God, to stay in position. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, that's it, that's it, man, that's it. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you, God bless you, amen. You guys can go ahead and go back to your seats. I'm gonna dismiss everybody here today. If you do need some prayer, I want you to come up to the front and get prayer before you go home. If you're going to go see a doctor or anything like that, I'm going to ask our altar teams that are scheduled for today to come on up and get into position. And if you need additional prayer, these teams are here to pray with you and to pray for you in Jesus' name. Father, I bless our church today. I pray your anointing will go with us. Let this word go deep down into our hearts. And Father, help us to fight back against the enemy. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for listening. We trust that God has spoken to you through today's message. 
If you would like to know more about our church or if you would like to help support the ministry, please go to www.rol-ag.org. River of Life Assembly of God, a church of His presence, His promises, and all people.